We started a series that's going to run for quite a while, um, and we've called it the 411 of the Bible. Um, and we really want to take a, a, a look at a picture, kind of to walk you through about what are some of the events that helped to solidify the foundational steps for you and I in a journey with Jesus, or what it is to be a follower of Him. I've kind of said it this way, that if you've been in church for years, yet you don't feel like you've got a good grasp on the Bible and you wished you knew a little bit more, then this is going to be the perfect series for you. Or maybe you know some of the stories that are in the Bible, but you don't really know the Bible story. Then this is going to be a great series for you to walk along with us as well. Now, we're not going to go necessarily verse by verse or book by book, but I've chosen what I believe to be some really solid themes that will walk us through from the beginning to the end. And it's going to introduce to us, again, some characters and what the mission of the Bible is, is it puts its focus on Jesus. And so, again, it'll be really important that uh, maybe on the notes uh, on your phone or on your device, or maybe if you're still with pencil and pen and paper, that, that you're going to start walking along this journey with us. I think the ability to take some notes will be really, really important um, that, that we'll start to put a perspective, put a, a pathway for you to get these things locked into your spirit. And so each one of these weeks, we're going to introduce to you a, a new word, a new theme for us to, to go after, uh, one in which we know the gospel is hung and that really where Christianity is built. And so uh, on the first week, we had uh, the word was life. And then we talked about the curse, and last week Pastor Bailey talked about salvation and judgment. In fact, I, I think I said this on week number one, that I remember when I was in, in probably middle school and uh, was starting to, to think about advanced math, right? I, I took algebra for uh, probably in eighth grade, the, the first time to, to be introduced into a little bit higher level of math. And I remember the teacher still telling me then uh, I still remember it today, that there were going to be some concepts or some formulas that, that we're going to learn at the beginning, that if you don't get these, like the rest of algebra is going to be, you know, just really mixed up for you. It's really important that you understand these beginning strategies and themes. And that's what I think when we introduce these words to you, it's like if, if you don't kind of click into this, if you don't, again, write it down, if you don't kind of think on it, uh, be with it, again, some of the story is still going to be a little mixed up. And so that's why I want to really stress to you for us to unpack really what these themes can be for you. In fact, I'm going to do one thing more uh, for this series. Uh, for a lot of the years, uh, I've been able to do a morning kind of teaching, usually on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 7.30. They're on like our Facebook Live. And I'm going to bring that back um, starting this week. So just kind of write that note down, all right? So uh, on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, and I know that doesn't catch everybody, but I'll post it so that, you know, if you're already off to work or you're not able to be on with us live, that you'll catch it some point through the day. For those deeper dive on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I know we're going to unpack a lot for you on Sunday, right? And, and you probably might raise more questions or still how do the pieces fit together. And so we're going to do that on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. So a lot of times those mornings aren't necessarily interactive, but we're going to make it interactive this time. So you'll have a chance to ask some questions or maybe again, if you kind of email me or whatever, we're going to look back, take a little bit deeper dive um, into each lesson 
each week, okay? So I hope that that will be, again, I just feel like this series is going to be really, really important for all of us as followers of Jesus. And again, if we don't get it right now, it's just still going to kind of be, you know, a little mixy for us the rest of our lives. So let's just kind of lock in for this year and this beginning. And then again, just maybe write it down. We'll, We'll send out some reminders tomorrow that if you can join me on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we'll help to go a little bit whether deeper or maybe be, have the opportunity to explain some of these points a little bit more full on those days as well, okay? So again, we talked about life, we talked about the curse, we talked about salvation and judgment, and the word for today is blood, blood. If you've been around the church for probably a long time, you'll hear a lot of songs about, oh, the blood of Jesus, or there's power in the blood of Jesus. And, and maybe if you're new to church and you've walked in and you've heard them sing some of these old songs, it, it might seem a little strange. Like, hey, aren't we living in the 21st century? Like, what is all this conversation? What is all this talk about blood? I get you, right? We're kind of saying, how does this all fit into the Bible story? Well, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. be really easy to find if you have your Bible with you today, or maybe if you jump on your device, or maybe on your U version. It's the second book of the Bible. So we're going to start there. There's going to be a lot of background that I'm going to kind of unload on you before we get to really the issue that I want to share with you this morning. When we think about the Bible story, we've introduced that it began with Adam. And then Genesis introduces us to Abraham and his family. It was Abraham that God chose to be the father of Israel. That dominates much of the Old Testament story, the life and times of Israel. And God made Abraham two huge promises. He promised him a home or a homeland, and it's still in the news today. And he promised him a family, a really, really big family. In fact, God says, as the stars are in the heaven and the sand on the seashore, so will be your descendants, so will be your generation in the days to come. But let me ask a question this morning. How many of you know there can be some problems with God's promises? I think that you probably all have struggled at times with God's problems because they don't always come when you expect them or even how. You expect them. Can anybody say amen with me today? How many have realized sometimes that part of the problem when we think about God's promise? And we know that God promises, but we often kind of are around the question, yeah, but when? And when we think about Abraham and these promises, these huge promises that God gave to him, boy, those were some really of the points that that Abraham would have struggled with as well, because although he promised him a homeland and he promised him a family, it was a long, long, long time before they came to fruition. So, what do we do in the midst of God's promise and the fulfillment of God's promise? Well, God eventually gave Abraham a son. His name was Isaac, and from whom then came Jacob. And Esau. And it was eventually Jacob who then God changed his name to Israel. And Jacob, in that process, had 12 sons that we follow in the Bible that were what we would call the 12 
tribes of Israel, but they were actually the 12 sons of who? Of Israel. Israel who has, at one point, was called Jacob. But he had an encounter with God, and God not only changed his name, but changed his heart, changed his life, and changed the direction of everything that he was focused on. And so from Jacob, we see the 12 sons that formed what we may have heard as the 12 then tribes of Israel. And as God is faithful in his promises, because we sang it today, that, God, that God's promises do come to pass. And so God not only gave Abraham a son, but God gave Abraham a homeland as well. And it was a place called Canaan. Now again, here's a little bit sometimes of the challenge of God's promise because sometimes they're not always what we expect them to be. And I'm sure that when Abraham was realizing that God finally gave me a home, that it was going to be something that I could just walk into, unpack, and realize, wow, how wonderful, how great it is. But unfortunately, when God gave Abraham Canaan, there were Canaanites living in the land. That the work wasn't over yet, the work was really just beginning. But eventually, Abraham's family possessed the land. If we find ourselves going back from our starting point here in the book of Exodus, the last 15 chapters of Genesis tell us the story of Jacob's last son. His name was Joseph. You might remember him as the dreamer the place that he would hold, but many of us know that if the baby brother or the baby daughter of the clan wants to elevate himself above all of the other older brothers and sisters, how many know that's probably not going to go too well for him, right? And it didn't go too well for Joseph either. And although God had given him a promise and had given him a dream, again, for those of you that might know the story a little bit more, how many know it was a long Long, long time until that dream or that promise came to fruition as well. You see, we have to be cautious and careful when we talk about the promises of God. We realize that there's more that goes into them. That God truly is leading and guiding and directing us. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer for the promise to come. And sometimes it comes a little bit differently than how we would ever expect it to come. And Joseph really has all of his own story in these last 15 chapters of Genesis. And although his brothers wanted to kill him, initially his life was spared. And the dream took a long time to come to fruition. And there were a lot of detours along the way. Remember, God's promises sometimes don't always come when and how we expect them to come. But there was a famine that began to overtake the land of Canaan where Jacob had settled with his family, and the beginnings of what we know of Israel. But you see, God was already ahead of them. How many can say amen today? That sometimes, even though when we don't think that God is working, how many know God is always working? How many know that we can't always see what God is up to? How many know that God is always up for our good, right? We realize sometimes it's a little bit longer. It might not be as expecting as as we think it would be, But we realize that God is always working. And although Joseph's story went through a lot of trouble and tragedy, ultimately God put him strategically in a place that when Canaan was experiencing a great famine, 
that God had strategically placed Joseph in this place of authority in a country called Egypt to store up grain and food and that all of the peoples of the world would come to them. And one day, Joseph's family came. Those same brothers that wanted to kill him realized that in an earthly sense, Joseph would be their salvation. He would be there to be able to provide for them. And not only them, but all of Israel that was living in Canaan. But as the people of Israel multiplied, in fact, God not only gave Joseph this opportunity of this position, but because of the blessing of God upon his life, the Pharaoh of Egypt allowed Joseph to invite his entire family to come and to have some of the most choice and prime land to Joseph. Because it was a blessing that the Pharaoh wanted to give to Joseph because of his wisdom, because of the blessing, which he didn't know at the time, the blessing of God upon his life, and he wanted to reward him. And so Joseph was able to invite his father and all of his family and Israel to come and to live in some of the most choice places throughout all of Egypt. But as the people of Israel began to multiply, living under the blessing of God while there in Egypt, the Egyptians feared that they would become greater and larger than them. And so they went on the offensive to make Israel their slaves. It was through Joseph, it was through the people of Israel that they received this powerful, amazing blessing of God. And they watched the blessing of God rest upon his people, this promise that he had made to Abraham, that your people would be like the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And they began to multiply and they were blessed, but Pharaoh and the Egyptians were fearful that they might overpower us. And so they went to war against Israel. In fact, there was so much fear that the Pharaoh ordered that all Hebrew male babies were to be thrown in the mighty Nile River and killed. It would be the first of many sad days for the Jewish people in this history that we are able to track over all of these years. And here's a big point that I want you to hear with me today. It was during all of this time, of all of these things that were happening and going on from Jacob moving into Canaan and Joseph on his journey to Egypt and this blessing and them moving to the land of Goshen. Yet during all of this time, some 400 years, God was silent. There were moments of time, obviously we recall from our beginning weeks, that God would come down regularly and talk to Adam and to Eve. And then God had many occasions to speak to Abraham and in this journey on this story. But for these Times and over this 400 year period, it's going to be a very important for us to remember that as we see more of the story unfold for us today. That it was through this season that God remained silent. It's very significant in our story today. Because now we move to a character by the name of Moses. You see, in the attempt to save his life, Moses' mother hid him in a basket along the river. The edict from the Pharaoh was is that all of these Israel, these Hebrew baby boys, must be thrown into the river and killed. But Moses' mother made this little basket to put her brand new baby in and hid it among kind of the reeds and the, the, 
the plants along the, the riverside and would watch over him day by day in a way to be able to protect and save his life. And the story says one day that the Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile for a swim, and as she did, she saw this basket there tucked into the reeds. And as she went over, she saw that there was a baby boy inside of it. And so she took the baby as her own. And as she was looking for a nurse or someone to help in this process, there was Moses' mother looking after, looking over this child, and she asked if she would come and nurse this baby, God's prominence, God's favor. And so in the midst of all the chaos that was going on in Egypt towards the Israelites at this time, Moses is saved. And not only is he saved from a a death that was decreed against all of the male boys, he actually grew up in Pharaoh's palace. God was about to turn a nightmare into seemingly a blessing. And it's important that as we follow this along in the story that as Moses becomes a central figure throughout much of the early part of the Old Testament, we have to recognize that he was raised primarily in the ways of the Egyptians. Although his mother had the opportunity to to nurse him and to be with him as a young child, but we recognize, much like your youngsters today, going to school and recognizing that they're not with you for the majority of the day, that we put our children in the hands of others, and they teach them of the things of the world in which we live. In fact, that's becoming more scary each and every day in the world in which we're living And I want you to get this understanding because I think if you've been in church for a long time, you might miss this part. You see, Moses spent most of his time learning of the Egyptian gods much more than he did about Jehovah God. His mom was not the primary influencer in his life, in his growing, in his nurturing years. He was a child of the Pharaoh palace. And so he learned about Orisis or Hect or Apis. Or Ra, these gods, small g, these gods of the Egyptians. You see, and I think one of the foundation stones of the gospel to understand for those of us that want to know more of what the truth really is, is that we first and primarily need to know the one true God. And this is the dividing line in the story that we see that is not only being played out here early in Exodus, but is still being played out in our world today. Our head is constantly on a swivel about what's the newest, what's the latest, what's the authority, where do I guide and direct my life by? Who is the real God? Do you know that we have some family here, part of the real life family, that have their heritage in Egypt, and I'm sorry, in, in India, and India is a place where there are millions of gods. Could I ask you today, how many know how many gods there are in America? And don't say one. Today we have influencers. We have rock stars. We have athletes. Kim Kardashian has 365 million followers. One-sixth of the worldwide 
those who follow Christ. Just this one lady. And can I say that most of Kim's followers check in on her a lot more than Christians, I think, follow Jesus every week. It's easy for us to maybe question or yell to say, what's wrong in the world? Well, I don't think we have to look very far to wonder what's wrong in the world. What's wrong with me? Do I know God? Do I know the one true God? Or have I become mesmerized? I hear a lot of Christian young adults, maybe moms and dads in our teens, talk more about the Kardashians and Taylor Swift than I do hearing them talking about Jesus. Because maybe we as a church, me as a pastor, have we laid out enough that where our foundation needs to be in the one true God, and to realize there is always going to be the pressure of other gods in this world, but we better know the truth, and we better know who is God and God alone. We can fear and wonder what is happening in the world around us, and and it's okay to do that. But listen, the only way we realize that we are not going to be blown by the torment of the world that is around us is that we are anchored to the rock of Jesus Christ. And although it blow, we know that we are not going to crash, that we realize God's promise is that he will be for those that know him. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I'm sure Moses' mother did everything that she could to tell him about Jehovah. And I'll be honest with you, when I was growing up in church, I think that, that, that I was taught or I had this mindset that it was much more, right, the, the influence that his mother was having with him about Jehovah than the whole world in which Moses was living in at the time. But I'm not sure I believe that. There was powerful influence around him about all of the things, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a moment. You see, she was greatly outnumbered, and if you'll remember one of the big points that I mentioned to you earlier, God had not spoken in over 400 years. Now, obviously, none of us were there, and so there maybe is a little bit of understanding or or speculation, I guess, in how we interpret this. But I want to challenge us in the way in which we are living in today, or maybe at least come to the fact that Moses' life was being influenced by a lot of gods, just like your kids, my kids today. What's real? What's true? And the only way we know what's real is what God talks what God promises and what God brings to pass. Some of the challenges that people have with Jesus is that he professed that there's only one way. And we live in a world of skepticism where it says, how can that be? How dare anyone say they are the only one and true way? You see, that's what Moses' mom was facing while he was living in a world filled with gods to know the one True God. You see, I think about our kids when they are in school even today. I'm sure the leaders of the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries don't keep them riveted to their seats. 
the leaders, the most powerful of 400, 500 years ago. It just doesn't seem current. And yet Moses' mom is trying to help him to understand Jehovah from hundreds and hundreds of years ago versus everything that he was seeing, experiencing, tasting, and living. So one day, Moses is walking, the story tells us, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he intervened, and in whatever happened, whatever went down, Moses ended up killing the Egyptian. And fearing the retribution, he fled to a desert as far away from Egypt as he could get. So if we could encapsulate the life of Moses in our story, first of all, he was saved. He should have died. He should have drowned as a baby in the Nile, but God saved him. He became very, I'm sure, confused hearing mom saying one thing and all of his teachers saying another thing his whole life growing up. And realizing, yeah, I, I know you're telling me about this God, but I've, I've never heard him. I, I've never seen him. And then he lives a life of shame. He recognizes that whether it was anger or whatever came in, that he killed a man and he fled. And in his attempt to get as far as the way he could, he met a man who had a daughter that he married that was a shepherd. And God's about to turn Moses' life around in a lot of different ways. And he's going to live these next few years as a shepherd. He was saved. He was shamed. And then God allows him to become a shepherd for, again, for most of us that know the story, for a lot of particular reasons. But soon, he would not just be shepherding sheep, but he would be shepherding millions and millions of people. Again, remember God's promises They don't always come out how we want them or we expect them to be. Sometimes the journey has a lot of twists and turns to ultimately to get for God to get us where he needs us to be. And so one day while he was tending his sheep near Mount Sinai, he sees a bush that seems to be fully engulfed in fire and yet the bush itself is not being consumed. We call it the burning bush experience. A a miracle. Maybe a mirage to begin with. Moses is like, what what is happening over there? How many know fire gets people's attention? Right? And and I have to go see what what is taking place. Now, again, I don't want to beleaguer the point, but I'm going to beleaguer the points. It had been how long since God had spoken to Israel? 400 years that they had heard his voice. Moses had never heard the voice of God. But this fire drew him closer. And as he got near the fire, for the first time in his life, Moses hears the voice of God. God speaks to him out of the fire, out of the burning bush. He introduces himself with these words. Now, it's important because, again, at this point, his heart easily could have been divided as to the gods of Egypt to the one true God, Jehovah. What his mom had been telling him or what all of his teachers had been telling him his entire life. And when God, Jehovah, introduces himself, he declares, I am God. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob, things now were beginning to click. The stories that he had heard his mother tell him about Father Abraham, about Jacob who had his name changed to Israel and from Israel came these 12 tribes that had lived now in Goshen and that had been raised and been living in Egypt that now became slaves. This God of Isaac and Jacob, things now that he had heard, now hearing the voice of God were now radically becoming to come alive inside of him. And God speaks to him because he has a mission for Moses. You see, as much as Joseph was strategically placed in Egypt to begin to bring hope and salvation to all of Israel, so God now had chosen Moses for a task, to go back to a place that he had grown up in, to go among people that he had known very well, to be a man much different than how he grew up, to go back, a man that lived among the Egyptians but now would be the rescuer of Israel. And Moses was perplexed yet because he hadn't heard God's voice before. He didn't know how all of these pieces, he had known Pharaoh and Pharaoh's power. He knew what would happen if you crossed the Pharaoh. If you tried to lead a rebellion, he watched the Pharaoh crush people, enslave people, murder and kill people. And he would be the one to be sent back now to stand before this massive God, small g, of Egypt. And Moses didn't know what to do. And he said, what if I go there and they ask me, who is sending you? By what authority? You're a nothing. You're a murderer. You're a, you fled. By what authority? And he questioned God. What am I going to tell them? What is the power that you possess that, that flips the script, that changes this whole environment about what I am going into? And God, again, if you can, again, write this down, if this can be part of the, 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 the foundation stones of today's message, God simply says to, Abe, to Moses, I am who I am. And I want to challenge those of you that have maybe heard this story a million times before that we just buzz over so many of these stories. I want us to pause for just a moment. Why was it that God gave to Moses such a simple introduction? Could not have God reflected on, are you kidding me? Let me tell you everything that I have done. Let me go back beyond the story of, of Adam and Eve and, and the creation, but let me tell you about the millennial that, that now exist into the universe and the galaxies and the stars that I have hung throughout all of time and space. God could have gone into a complete repertoire of everything of who he is, but he simply says this, I am who I am. And I say this to you, dear friends, why such a simple introduction? Because not only did Moses need that and only that, but you and I need that, and only that. Trust me. 
When your head and your heart want to be indifferent because of the things that are happening in the world, I want you to know that there is a God who created you. When we are fascinated and by the spectacularness of what superstars and rock stars can do and how we swoon and how we sing their songs and yet it's hard for us to get through a few choruses on a Sunday morning. You need to know more about God than he is God. There's nothing more you need to pursue than I need to know him. I need to know the joy of his suffering. I need to know the power of his victory. I need to know the joy and the power in his name that is above every other name. I need to know when there are a lot of voices out there that are talking, I need to be able to hear the one true voice of the God that is the only God, whoever has been, whoever will be, who is the I am, the I am. These traffic rotaries that have become new and eerie over these last few years, some of them, you may love them, you may hate them. When Debbie and I lived in New England for a number of years, they're everywhere. And sometimes they are three lanes deep. I mean, we freak out here in Erie County because it's just one loop, right? If you go to New England, there are three lanes inside the rotaries on a lot of them. But there's a city just the next town over from where Debbie and I lived, East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, that has a famous rotary. Because not only does it have lanes going around the circle, but it has two crossing lanes that go right through the middle of it as well. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I remember moving to New England and having to go to East Long Meadow, and I got to this part. I, I've been there multiple times and thinking, I'm going to die today. You say, Pastor Jim, what's the point? You see, once I had been there once, I avoided that area at all costs ever in going there again. Why? Well, because it was too complicated for one, it left me confused on how to get truly where I needed to get. And here's what I want to tell you today, friends, is that religion has made relationship very confusing. You see, I'm trying to help you to get to heaven but unfortunately, the messages that are out there today are much like that rotary in East Long Meadow, Massachusetts. And maybe not so much you that are here today, but maybe a lot of people that are in your family, in your office, friends at school, and they hear a lot of confusing religion. That this can be your God. I have this God. That she's my God. That I follow this one. I read this. And then we hear about sin and judgment, and all of this big, bad stuff, and that, you know, there's a, a church on 38th Street that says that Jesus is the only way. How dare they tell me that there is only one way? You see, religion has made relationship very confusing. It has allowed a lot of people to preach the gospel of accommodation, 
Our churches can be certainly filled with people that want to hear simply what they want to hear. In fact, the Bible tells us in Timothy in the last days that people are going to want to hear what tickles their ears. That's, that's what's going to draw crowds. That's what people are after. Or they're going to fashion a God into something that can be just a little bit more palatable. Or maybe it has helped us to avoid him at all cost. I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and we don't even want to talk about religion. We don't want to get started, we don't, right? Because it becomes so divisive. Religion has overshadowed the relationship that God wants with every one of us. And just like that rotary, a lot of people want to stay away. We don't take time to understand this incredible story that brings life. Let me take it just a little bit further. I would say that most of us today are taking a lot of pictures from our phones. We're in the digital age, and I'm not that good at it, but for some of you, you can take a picture, and with that, there are applications within the photo part of your phone, right, that has filters. And, and some of you, let's just be honest, you don't look as good as you do on those photos <laughs> that you're putting out there. Can we just be honest, right? Some of you use a lot of help to get to where you need to be. <laughs> Me included. <laughs> no, we got a lot of help, don't we, right? But what happens if, let's just say you take a picture of your wife for your husband, right? And then you show them to say, you know what? I, I want to change your nose a little bit. To be honest, the, the picture that I have of you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trim a little off the sides. I, I think I need to lengthen your legs. You're a little short, right? I'm going to lengthen that a little bit. And, and then they show you what they have created, right? And say, that's it. That's what I want. How many can feel the frying pan coming out of the, like, like somebody's, somebody's going home hurt right, today. How many would say, Pastor Jim, that's pretty insulting, right, if that would happen? I mean, we wouldn't feel good about that, right? But hear me today. And yet we are comfortable in changing God into a God that works best for us. Is that's why if you don't like what I have to say, you're going to go find another church that's going to tell you, watch that, you're going to find something to say, hey, I want it to be palatable for me. Again, let me get back to why the simple introduction that God gave to Moses that he needed and that I said that you needed. You see, because we're not here to change God. God says what? I am who I am. And we are living in a time and a day and an age where it's comfortable for us as much as we feel the right that we can change and manipulate and filter everything else in our life that we can do the very same thing with God. And we wonder why our homes are a wreck. We wonder why our relationships, we're wondering why we could just stay in bed on Sunday mornings and say, I'll do it my way, I'll go when I want, I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll... All of those things because we fail to recognize that we don't, we don't tell God 
who God is. God tells us, I am who I am. And that's why God told Moses to make sure that he gets it right. So how do we know that he's the only God? Well, that's the showdown that's about to take place in the story. He goes, when God told Moses he's going to go back to Egypt, there's going to be a royal showdown because we're going to prove in the Bible, God was going to prove to Moses the stories that you heard about, they're all true. I am who I am. This God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I am him. And there's going to be a showdown to show you who the real God is. You grew up hearing about Ra and hearing about Isis and hearing about Kept. But I'm going to show you today that there is no God that stands before Jehovah God. You see, the Bible says that there were a battle of plagues that were coming, which the Bible talks about them being judgment. In Exodus chapter 12 is where we read about it. And this is what God said to Moses. I I'm about to bring judgments upon all of the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. You'll remember there were 10 plagues. I won't go through all of them with you today. But Erisus was the god of the Nile. It was the god that the Egyptians believed that sustained their life. But you'll remember when it came to the judgment time of the plagues that God turned the river Nile into what? Blood. To Egypt, it was life-sustaining. And God said, in a moment, I'll kill it. I have the power to destroy, to destroy it all. You'll remember that they had the God who was hiked. It was the God of fertility. It was represented by a frog. And God says, you want frogs? I'll give you frogs. Give you frogs everywhere. In fact, as part of the craziness of the story, Pharaoh's magicians added to the frogs. Like, if you're gonna like try to defeat somebody, how much? Like, you're not gonna keep adding to it, right? Oh yeah, you're gonna make a million frogs. We'll we'll make thousands of frogs then, right? Then Moses said, "Great. Well, then make them go. We can't do that." Ra, the God of sun. And what was God able to do? Blacked out the sun. God was showing them step by step by step, each time increasing the power of God's judgments. Because here's the truth, not only for then, but for now. You see, all Pharaoh needed to do was repent, and God would have relented. Same God today. You see, the word for you and I is really who is God in your life? Or do you have some gods? Maybe God hasn't spoken. Maybe you haven't been able to hear his voice. But God wants you to know there is only one. That you attributing your life, your soul to anything other than him unfortunately, is going to find the punishment and the judgment of God. As he did in Egypt, he will do today. 
But unfortunately, like Pharaoh, still most of us today, we're willing to roll the dice and to believe that somehow we can outrun God's judgment. And every time Moses said, Pharaoh, is this enough? Look at your land, look at your people, look at your livestock, look at your homeland. Little by little by little, Jehovah God is destroying it all because you're failing to repent. If you'll just repent, God will relent. But each time, Pharaoh boldened out his chest, raised his chin and said, no, I'll trust in my God's. Listen, this isn't a story from 4,000 years ago. This story could be written today. You see, at least you'll have one pastor in your life that will call on you to repent. To choose this day whom you will serve. There doesn't have to be a long introduction. He is the I am, the I am. As much as you will search and much as you will seek, you will find no true God. You will not know his promise. You will not know his power in anything, in anyone else other than him. You say, Pastor Jim, how do you know that? Because it is a promise that has been secured to us through the blood, through the blood of the Lamb. See, the reason God brings judgment is that he will not allow evil to stand. And the heart of the gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus, to save us from his judgment. Now, I've said all of that this morning as the introduction to my message. How many realize a nervous laugh that just went through the house right now? Like, is he serious? (laughs) You see, all of the plagues went one through nine about all of the things that were happening in and around Egypt. But the tenth set off a trajectory that would be part of the gospel story from that moment, literally until today. God told Moses to tell all those in the Israeli camp in Goshen, in Egypt, that they were to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, one without blemish, and that they would have it to live with them. It would be for four days. And on that night, that there would be a death angel, the judgment, the ultimate judgment of God was about to come. And on that night, that they would take And they would kill the lamb and they would place the blood on the doorposts of the house. And God said this to Moses to relay to Israel, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You say, Pastor Jim, how has this story become current? Because we read about Jesus having what we know as the Last Supper was actually the Passover meal. When we, this church, and churches of today, share 
communion. It is a memorial remembrance of the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The death plague will not touch you. God initiated a promise established by blood. You see, much of the Old Testament provides for us what, when we study, what we know as types and anti-types. These, these pictures that, that what we see is of something more. You'll remember maybe when Moses was building the, the tabernacle, the church that went with him throughout the the wilderness experience is that God said, I'm going to give you a picture of what is in heaven and we're going to shrink it down and you're going to create it. It was a type, an anti-type. The lamb one day that John would declare the lamb of God. What we see in this sense that there is something greater yet to come. The story of Abraham, we go back to for just a moment. Father Abraham. God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him to the top of the hill. Again, how many are seeing type, anti-type? And you're going to sacrifice your son. His blood is going to be shed. Again, if you don't know the story, hold on. And just as Abraham, do you trust me? Do you believe God in his promise? Do you remember what was the story of Adam? God said, you can have everything, just don't touch one thing. Trust in my word. That's what Abraham had to go back in and realize that Adam goofed it up. And so here he is with a knife over his son laying on the altar. And just as he's about to thrust it, God spoke out of heaven. Stop! And realize your son will not have to go through this. But God knew what my son, my son will. You see, we see it in the story of the garden as well. When Adam sinned against God, God came down and Adam and Eve had hid themselves. And God said, where are you? And said, we were ashamed because we saw that we were naked, so we hid from you. And we made this outfit of what? Leaves. But how many know man will never cover man's sin? And God removed the leaves, and it said that he clothed them in what? Skin. Skins. He killed a sacrifice. Blood was shed to cover the nakedness, the shame of Adam. Again, a type. God doing all of the work. Abraham, he was stopped before he killed his son. And that God says that there would be a ram provided in the thicket that would be deflected of God's judgment that would now be on this sacrifice. But God knew one day for all of us that there would be a son that would go up on the hill whose God's judgment would rail against, whose blood would be shed. Why? Because of sacrifice. The promise of sacrifice. Because man cannot cover man's sin. Only God can cover man's sin. 
And so when we sing about the power of the blood of Jesus, it washes every sin. Wonder-working blood of Jesus. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Listen, if you're just coming into church today for the very first time and you hear the pastor talking about blood, 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 listen, I get it. You'd be like, okay, I'm out. Not really sure what kind of church this is. But when you recognize the story that the blood is because of sacrifice, it's not cultic, it's salvation. It's realizing that a life had to be lost so that a life can be found. Today, some of you, you're lost. You don't know the power, the soul-cleansing power of the blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of God, who is able to take any other God, any other thing, and make it look foolish. Adriel's come and help me. So let me finish today with just these two questions for you to answer. So I've answered a little bit already to say, Pastor Jim, why blood? Why does the story, why does it talk about blood? Well, it is the principle of sacrifice. As I mentioned, Adam hid in the garden and he tried to clothe himself, but it was not enough. God had to clothe him. It was the first sacrifice. And the blood would be established as a type. Is that what it takes to cover sin? Blood. And then you might say, Pastor Jim, is, would blood be enough? How much? You see, when we read through the Old Testament, we realize that they sacrificed over and over and over and over and over again. It was a daily occurrence. Why? Because our sins, they're always before us. In fact, the Day of Atonement, pretty famous for us, much more obviously for Israel. But it was almost a safeguard in case we missed anything through the year. There was one day, we're going to stop and pause and we're going to ask God, this day, forgive us of our sin. But you see, it was still never enough. Why? Because the Day of Atonement was going to happen again next year. And the year after, and the year after, and the year after. But you remember the type in Anatype? You see, one day God's son was going to come as the primary sacrifice. And he was going to shed his blood. And the Bible tells us, not only in Jesus' own words, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that this blood that was shed would never, would never be shed again. Because this blood will never, will never lose its power. It was the same power to humble the greatest king in the world, this Pharaoh who had overcome in the world. And yet God said, I will humble you. I will crush you if need be because I am who I am. There is no other. And you wonder, Pastor Jim, my life has been a wreck. My life has been a, a novel of one mess up, one screw up. Is the blood enough? 
His blood is more than enough. It washes, it cleanses, it saves, it delivers, it heals, it redeems, it restores, it renews. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it makes me white as snow. You see, not only is it enough, it's all we need. The type one day is going to be the Lamb of God shedding His blood to cover God's judgment over our life. When I see the blood, God says His judgment is going to pass over you. I want to take just a minute before we leave today and to pray over you and maybe have you pray. I don't know if everyone in this room today could say, could confess, could cry out to say, Pastor Jim, I'm so glad today that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. You see, some of you, you may know the stories of the Bible, but you didn't know this, the story of the Bible. You maybe heard about blood, you just didn't know you needed the blood. Because the only way your life will change, the only way you get God's promise is to be covered by the blood of Jesus. You say, Pastor Jim, how do I do that? You have to simply say, I gotta stop believing about all these other gods. And today I have to turn and I have to follow the one true God. I have to kick out all these other gods of my life and today I need to invite the one true God into my life. Is it enough? It's more than enough. You see, the fact is it has nothing to do with you or me. God did everything for us. Here's the last thing that I want to tell you before I pray. You see, not only what God spoke to Moses to the children of Israel that night, not only must blood be shed, but hear me today, friends, the blood must be applied. He told Israel to kill the spotless lamb and to put it on the doorpost so that when the angel comes by, when I see the blood. See, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. You can hear the story, but you'll still go to hell knowing the story. It's not just that the blood was shed. The truth today, my friends, is that the blood must be applied. And I can't let you go There's only a yes and a no today. Listen, I have no judgment on anybody today. But I want you to know God's judgment will be upon us from this day forward. Will you be covered by the blood of Jesus? Will you accept or will you reject? That's the truth. That's what a lot of preachers aren't preaching. That's what a lot of churches aren't sharing. No judgment. It's just I know that one day I'm going to stand 
before him to be judged. And I want you to know that you heard the truth. You heard not just a story in the Bible, you heard the Bible story today. I'm going to ask as I pray today that some of you, you might need to get right with God through Jesus. You may need to come to him. And I'm going to ask as I pray if that is you today. We're not here to embarrass you. We're here to love you. We're not here to isolate you. We're here to welcome you into the family of God today. We're not here to confuse you. We're here to enlighten you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are not sure, maybe you've never, maybe you know you're not really where you need to be in this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I'm going to ask you that as I pray that you get up from where you are and that you come and you join me around the front today. And together we collectively are, we are going to pray that as individuals, that as a church, that we are going to serve the God who is the I am, the great I am. I don't want you to hesitate. This is not a moment to listen to any other voice. There's no other confusion in this room today. There is only the voice of the gospel. There is only the voice of God. That is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. If you are hearing any other voice, it is the false voice. Today, I'm going to ask you to respond to the true voice of God. So as I pray, every head you can bow, you can close your eyes, but if that's you today, I want you to come And together we are going to pray and we are going to let the blood of Jesus again cover our life. We are going to be assured that we have heard the voice of God today. Yes? Amen. Father, I pray over this house that there are those that are getting up out of their seats right now. They have heard your word. They have recognized the truth of the gospel. And they have the desire to respond to that. If that's you, I want you to get up from where you are right now. Come come to this altar right now. Come to this place where the power of God, the power of his presence is in this place right now. Today to walk in the journey, walk in the power and the presence of God.